Welcome back to Curious Combinations, an everything's unoriginal podcast. I'm AF Tanith, and today I'm covering Umbrella Academy Season 3, Episode 7. So, Harlan is really dead, huh? I honestly thought they were going to weasel out of that one somehow. Like, oh sure, he looks dead, but that's just what we want you to think for this cliffhanger. But no, Allison straight up murdered that man, and I just... Well, a part of me doesn't mind that we're doing this with Allison. A part of me likes that we're taking a look at the villainy inherent in mind control powers. Another part of me, though, is very aware that the show is falling into the same pitfalls as other shows that try to tackle a mind control is villainous storyline. I'm thinking in particular of Superstar, the Jonathan-centric episode of Buffy, in which Jonathan implicitly rapes a pair of unnamed female twins while mind controlling all of reality with a spell and of Simon Says, the Supernatural episode in which a new anti-hero character implicitly rapes at least one unnamed female character while exercising his mind control superpowers. Jonathan and Andy are both loser characters who are friendly but not quite friends with the main cast, and their use of mind control is treated as sympathetic and understandable but inherently villainous. But they're never called out as being rapists. Period. So it's not like what Allison is being used to explore here is new. We've seen mind control is inherently evil a million times before, and we've seen the mind controller get called out on violating people's boundaries without ever actually having enough backbone to call a rape a rape. And so I don't think there's anything inherently valuable to letting Allison play this role this season. And that's before we even get into the optics of Allison being the only black sibling, the only sibling any darker than a mild tan, and the only female sibling. And I suppose that brings me to perhaps my main complaint with this season in general, and this episode in particular. All of these characters are supposed to be some shade of grey or other. They're all supposed to be low-key kind of villainous. They're not fundamentally bad people, no, but they're anti-heroes at best, and anti-villains at worst. They do keep accidentally ending the world, after all. But their treatment within the show is inconsistent at best. I don't even feel like I can get a good handle on what the show itself seems to think of its characters. Five presents himself as a person who does necessary evils but who had a strong moral compass, while Victor feels unfairly maligned by the show itself for his actions in the past and the present, and Allison is a bizarre catch-22 of seemingly getting away with truly heinous shit but in a way that sets her character, and gods forbid her actress, up to get utterly loathed by the fandom for shit that the rest of the cast could honestly probably get away with. I think maybe that's it then. Maybe that's why I'm so upset about what's happening with Allison this season. Giving this role to not just the only woman in the main cast, but also the only black sibling is just irresponsible. Fandom in general has, and has always had, a serious subconscious hostility toward black, darker-skinned, and female characters. And fandom in general has always bent over backwards to defend and justify and romanticize white, lighter-skinned, and male characters. If Diego, for example, had done what Allison had done this season, no one except discourse people over on Tumblr and Twitter would care. Hey, he just sexually assaulted someone wouldn't be the prevailing comment about his behavior. But I would bet my fucking soul that it's the only thing anyone had to say about Allison after episode 5. 
And if you don't believe me, allow me to point you toward another Netflix show, Jessica Jones. In that show, the heroine was mind-controlled and raped for months by the villain, a handsome white man played by David Tennant. After escaping, she enters a romantic relationship with a black man. It has its own complications, and it's not especially healthy as a relationship, given that she has a truly terrible crime related to him in her backstory. But they're getting somewhere, and it's not rape. So now, with that context, do me a favor and head over to AO3. There are over 2,300 works of fanfiction for the Jessica Jones series. The number one ship in the fandom is a femslash ship, which isn't terribly surprising considering that this show tried to be a feminist woman-centric story. But the number two ship in the fandom is the heroine and the villain who raped her. 10% of all of the fandom stories on AO3 are about a woman and the handsome white man who raped her. As for the equally handsome black man who was actually her love interest, her relationship with him clocks in at number six on the list of ships. Fandom is as much a white supremacist patriarchy as anywhere else. And that looming shadow is why I can't stand what's being done with Allison. Like, we don't need more of this shit. Do better. But I suppose let's get into the recap. It's not like there's not plenty more to be angry and baffled about, after all. Our episode opens on a flashback. It's 1953, which means we're at the Commission, and I remain confused by how the hell the narrative wants me to believe that the Commission is both in the 50s and outside of time, but I only have so much angry energy within me, so let's save it for what matters. Lila is currently at the Commission, watching herself die at the hands of her mother in that erased timeline from the end of last season. Dot and Herb venture past corpses to reach her in the control room, trying to delicately get her the hell out of there before she does even more lethal damage than she's already done. They offer to drop her off in any time period, and she demands to be taken to West Berlin right before the fall of the wall. At first, it's a tad unclear what she's doing there. I had very briefly wondered if she just wanted to be part of the joyous destruction, but no, there is more to this than that. In fact, it's a brilliant move on her part. Within the Berlin Wall, the handler hid a briefcase that Lila walks right up to and frees with a stolen sledgehammer. It is a lovely badass moment, and I really kind of like what Lila ends up doing with her life for a while. Despite the handler's don't-stop-for-normal-life advice, Lila does decide to just live like a person for a while. She doesn't immediately go back to dicking around with time. Instead, she joins a punk band as a drummer, and it seems for a while to be a good way for her to get out her aggression and the specter of Diego that is haunting her psyche. But then she gets left alone with her new friend's kid, and it's all downhill from there. Lila and Stanley are one hell of a scheming combination, and while the show clearly wants me to have a certain sympathy for Lila, I don't, honestly. I feel bad for Stanley, and I feel bad for Diego, and if Lila ever gets her act together, maybe I'll feel bad for her too, but right now I'm mostly annoyed by the whole damn thing. There's a certain batshit crazy logic, I suppose, to her wanting to see how Diego would be as a dad before she decides what to do about her apparent fetus, assuming that its existence isn't a lie as well. But that is only a reasonable course of action, like, hypothetically, or in a vacuum. Like, for all I don't adore Diego, he's a fucking person. Testing him like this is pretty fucking heinous, and the idea of women testing men in the first place is a tired, hateful, misogynistic trope that just drains me to my fucking bones. And then we have Reginald. 
I had wondered if this too might be a flashback until a banging starts in his car's trunk. But it's immediately obvious that the banging is Klaus, and I'm moving to a point in this trauma conga line that he's experiencing when I just can't take it seriously anymore. I'm legit not connecting with his trials and his pain anymore, because there's just so fucking much of it. A lot of it is being played as a joke, and not a bit of it is being allowed to breathe. I'm just... I don't know. I think I want to stick with the word tired right now. We're seven episodes down, three to go, and I am just fucking exhausted by this season. Lila took the wind out of my sails when it came to being interested in Diego's arc this season. Everything that Allison and Lila are doing this season is mired in problematic treatment of their characters by the writers. Victor is still being treated like shit by the narrative and his siblings for little reason that I can see. Luther is having another tiresome relationship with one of his goddamn sisters, and Klaus literally has not ever had a single unambiguously good thing happen to him in this show, has he? Suddenly, I understand why I'm really not all that excited to jump back into this show after watching the finale of Stranger Things. Stranger Things is revitalizing and thrilling the way good entertainment should be. This season of Umbrella Academy, though, feels like it's sapping away my very soul. Like, I've barely got enough energy to function as it is. You can't just drain it all away from me without an apology here. I just hope that the show is leading up to something that makes this slog worthwhile. But our next scene is not a promising sign. Luther and Allison have their first conversation since Allison tried to rape him, and I just can't wrap my mind around what the fuck the writers were thinking. Luther's relationship with Allison has not been visibly shifted by, quote, what she did to him at the hotel. It fully could not be clearer to me that no one involved in the writing here has had any experience with being sexually assaulted, let alone incestuously assaulted. Nor did they apparently think they needed to consult with anyone who actually has experience with the emotions of this. Because this is just not believable at all. It's been, what, less than 48 hours since it happened? Less than 24? Trauma is not just in your head. Trauma is chemical. Regardless even of what Luther thinks or feels or wants to think or feel about Allison right now, the simple fact of the matter is that his body should be responding defensively toward her right now. It doesn't have to be over the top. It could be subtle. Just give me something. A tremor in his voice. A refusal to make eye contact. A refusal to get too close to her for fear that she might touch him. Maybe he would have brought Sloane in for moral support, even if he wasn't comfortable telling her why he wanted her there. Maybe he could have been holding a pair of earplugs or listening to music while he was talking to her or something. Just do something to show the audience that the writers understand that being nearly raped by your goddamn sister is a traumatic experience. Like, what the entire fuck? Should we find you someone to talk to? Is not the right line of dialogue for what the fuck happened, and Tom Hopper's reading of the line makes it just shy of a joke, and I just cannot wrap my mind around anything that's happening in this storyline. Who approved of this? But let's move on, I suppose. Sloane arrives to announce that Ben has called a family meeting for, quote, both families, and it presents a perfect opportunity to show Luther straddling the line between wanting to be a sparrow and maintaining a degree of loyalty to his family. Except that I don't care about that. Luther is perfectly enjoyable as a himbo character, but that's literally all he's been good for in this show. Three seasons, and he's not yet had a single interesting plotline. 
Wanting to fuck Allison wasn't interesting. Locking Victor up in the basement was loathsome. Literally nothing happened with him in season two that was at all worth remembering. And this thing with Sloane and the Sparrows is... There? It's happening, I guess. If the cast were smaller, maybe I would care about Luther and his complicated feelings about his family dynamic, but I don't find his attitude toward the Umbrellas sympathetic, really. To boil down his relationship with his siblings, he is mostly just salty that they haven't set aside their own personhood to place supporting characters to his hero fantasies. He wants a family that's a team, whereas his real family is a bunch of real people who want to live real lives independent of each other and make their own choices independent of what the rest of them need. And that he's trying to join the Sparrows because he likes how they've low-key trapped their more wayward members rather than let the family grow apart. It's really gross, and it's not sympathetic. And if you want to do something interesting with Luther this season, this bullshit isn't even necessary. Let him have an arc dealing with the fallout of what Allison did to him. It's just so infuriating that they're doing this Sparrow shit instead. As for Five, Lila, and Diego, though, they are back at the hotel. Five is putting pieces of the plot together regarding Oblivion and Reginald's plans for the Sparrows, while Lila and Diego continue to freak out over Stanley's disappearance into the Kugelblitz, and then enroll Luther and Sloane to gather the cast for the family meeting. Sparrow Ben continues to be insufferable, as is Allison, but before we can get to a point, Victor storms in to find out what happened to Harlan. And Allison, regardless of whatever she may or may not truly feel, she is projecting as much nonchalance as she can muster as she lets her brother know that she killed his kid. And when Victor gets upset about it, oh my god. The family treats it like it's entertainment. No one stands up for Victor until the absolute last minute, and I am just casually over here losing my entire mind. The audacity of putting Victor through this and then asking for his help is just fully unhinged. I need Victor to grow a fucking backbone, because the correct answer to please help me right now is lol fuck you. It seems like literally almost everyone has already been wiped out of existence anyway. If you treated me like this and then told me that you needed me to help you save the few people who are left, no, I'm sorry, we're all gonna die now. You're not going to talk to me like that and then ask for my help. That would be the most spitefully joyous no that I ever gave anyone, and I would gleefully watch the Kugelblitz wipe everyone away. I mean, fuck. There have been two main through lines across this show's three seasons. Five is always trying to prevent an apocalypse through wonky time travel and the not-so-helpful help of the Commission and Victor is always treated like shit by the people around him. Victor was treated like shit by his so-called family in season one, and he's being treated like shit now. And I just need him to leave these motherfuckers in the dust. Family does not get to stay in your life if they are actively making it worse. Period. And that Elliot Page is here legitimately selling the panic and anxiety of being attacked by people who are supposed to love you, it is really hard to watch. The way his voice wavers in this scene, the way Victor struggles to explain himself at all, the way Victor can't reach for the more logical explanations that would actually sway his siblings and instead get stuck on how everything is his own fault and there's something inherently wrong with him, I want to cry. This is horrible. 
I'm not even the biggest fan of Victor, but this shit is just fucking heartbreaking. Victor deserves so much better than this. His sister tortures him in front of all of the rest of his siblings, and no one does a thing. And then they have the nerve to ask for his help. Justice for fucking Victor. And then we have Klaus. I am over his little road trip with Reginald before it even begins. Even Klaus himself is getting old at this point, if I'm being honest. Reginald treats him like a particularly stupid dog, and Klaus is easily proving him right. Klaus just keeps trying to get Daddy's love, no matter how many times Daddy literally murders him, and it's not funny, and it's gone past being sympathetic, and it's nothing resembling understandable or even believable anymore. Klaus's montage of getting hit by cars isn't funny, as it's clearly supposed to be, and it's not tragic, like it should be, and I can only hope that it pays off in terms of the actual events of the end of the season. This shit had better be worth it, is what I'm saying. Because the music in this scene while a fun choice, is hardly enough to make this feel worth watching. And back in the mansion, Grace has gone full axe crazy while the siblings head down into the basement. Sloane, who apparently is something of a physics whiz to go along with her gravity powers, has a plan. They're going to trap the Kugelblitz inside of Christopher, effectively using him as a Dyson shell. Now, I do want to note here before we move on that a Dyson sphere or shell or cap or whatever is theoretically meant to harness the energy of the encapsulated star or black hole, which is an element neglected by the story. What Christopher does here, in fact, really has virtually nothing to do with what a Dyson shell is proposed to actually do, and doesn't really have any resemblance to how one would actually be hypothetically constructed either. And I'm not really criticizing the use of the reference, I'm just pointing out that it's, you know, not the hard sci-fi that I feel the show wants viewers tricked into thinking that it is. Then again, Kugelblitzes don't eat the entire universe in weird energy pulses either, so if you somehow did mistake this mess for scientifically accurate, I wish you good luck in life. So, after some more cringe out of Sparrow Ben, Klaus and Reginald roll up on a graveyard for some more ludicrous tough love. I swear to all the gods humanity has ever created, this shit had better pay off because I am not amused. And then we're back to Allison. She and Lila are having an are we the baddies heart to heart, and Allison has just fully lost her mind at this point. She's like taken a sidestep off the path toward full-blown suicidal ideation, and she's fully living in the land of derealization at this point. Time travel plus trauma plus an impending apocalypse is obviously a bad combination, after all, and I suppose that it's possible a lot of Allison's behavior here can be chalked up to losing her grip on reality. It's that thing of people turning into their most hateful selves on social media, or enacting genocides and rapes and murders in video games, or learning how to lucid dream specifically to do awful shit that they wouldn't do in reality for fear of consequence. For a lot of people, the simple fact of the matter is that morality is not something internal. The sad truth is that for too many people, the entire concept of morality comes down to cultural norms and taboos and laws forced upon them. It's the way that Christians in America will often be horrified by the mere existence of atheists, because how can we possibly be good people if we're not scared of eternal hellfire? And like, the answer is simple. It's because morality shouldn't come from outside. Being a good person and not doing evil shit should be something that comes from within you, because you're mature enough to shake off the solipsism of young childhood and emotionally intelligent enough to operate in the world with empathy. But for Allison, just like for people playing video games or having lucid dreams, 
Allison appears to no longer think that her world is truly real. Like the internet troll who tries to convince someone else to kill themselves because they're too emotionally stunted to truly grasp the idea that the person they're talking to is a real human being instead of a fucking NPC, Allison no longer believes that the way she treats people has any consequences. She's become untethered from her timeline, and so she's become unmoored from empathy, morality, and reality itself. She's feeling so adrift, so despairing, so overwhelmed that she's dissociating from the world around her and the people within it. And with that detachment from the concept of other people's realness and the permanence of anything except herself, comes a detachment from the idea that what she does will actually affect things. And if nothing she does affects anything, and everything is impermanent and will just change again when next she blinks, why not pack up her conscience and go full id? Why not hurt the people that she wants to hurt if it helps ease her tension even slightly? Or so she clearly feels. And the answer, of course, is obvious. We don't hurt people to ease our pain and anxiety, even if it wouldn't have any consequences, because consequences aren't the reason we don't hurt people. We don't hurt people because we have empathy, because we're not psychotically selfish solipsists, because we have compassion and understanding and a desire to be good and kind, even if the world isn't offering that back to us. A good person wouldn't lose their goodness just because not being good suddenly has no consequences. And for Allison, who is clearly experiencing a sci-fi-tinged mental illness at this point that Lila immediately labels the spins, I'm not terribly surprised by this manifestation of her behavior. I am the type of person who will load up Crusader Kings or Rimworld or The Sims or whatever and try to create peaceful kingdoms, utopian space colonies, and happy families. But I know good and goddamn well how many, if not most other people, play those games. Removing the pool ladder is an old joke in the Sims community for a reason. In any case, though, Lila does her best to try to pull Allison out of her downward spiral. She advises that time travelers keep a fixed point, something or someone to focus on even as the rest of the timeline shifts and mutates. Except Allison can't see past her grief to actually do this. She falls back on her despair, choosing to forego finding her rock in favor of mourning Claire's inability to be said rock now that Claire doesn't exist anymore. Which I suppose is a good reminder of why people in the Commission appeared to be discouraged from keeping outside relationships, like Hazel and Agnes. People inside the Commission are much less likely to be erased by the Commission's meddling than people who are outside it. A time traveler's rock should be another time traveler, honestly not someone passively subjected to the changes of the timeline. Which makes me wonder if we're going to get a resolution to this in which Allison realizes that Victor, Luther, and the rest of her siblings are the ones who should have been her tether to reality all along, which is ironic given the way she's trying to drive them all away from her. But between you and me, I don't care to see that resolution at this point. Like I said, I'm fucking exhausted with this whole narrative at this point, and I honestly don't even care anymore if Allison dies. Let the timeline change again, let the Kugelblitz take her. Hell, give her a heroic sacrifice as a final note of quasi-redemption. Just let her, and me, fucking rest. But now it's time to try averting the latest apocalypse. It goes well enough with Victor, Lila, Sloane, and Christopher working together, but given that this is episode 7 instead of episode 9 or 10, the victory is obviously going to be short-lived. Faye tells us how things are going to fall apart long before we ever get there. 
The vibration, as she calls it, of the black holes cannot be allowed to speed up or change lest something catastrophic happen. And so, of course, that's what happens eventually. One wonders if there's going to be any particular significance in the future to that mention of one black hole moving at a different frequency than the others, or whatever it was. But I suppose that's something to deal with in the future. Now, I wish I could say that I enjoyed Grace's axe-crazy moment during this sequence, but it's kind of inexplicable, to be honest. I hope that the last three episodes deliver something in terms of an answer for why this thing drove her crazy, especially given that her particular craziness is a religious mania, which is bizarre given that she's a fucking robot. In particular, though, I want to point out that I haven't forgotten that both Grace and, briefly, Marcus claimed to hear this thing talking to them. My pet theory, at the moment, is that somehow everyone taken by the Kugelblitz is still alive in there, somehow? Basically, the second I see that thing eat one of the umbrellas, which I suspect is coming, then I'm going to be sure. But in the meantime, as for Klaus, he is busy dealing with shit that's honestly straight out of Eddie Murphy's haunted mansion, and I guess I'm happy for him, or whatever, and maybe I should care about what this power escalation really means for the plot going forward, but right now, the only thing that's really interesting about this scene is Sparrow Reginald's take on Umbrella Reginald's shitfuck parenting. And it's another hint for me that Umbrella Reginald remains up to something despite having been erased. The party scene in the aftermath of the so-called success is... Well, it's no Citadel DLC, but it's something, I suppose. Until it moves into a fresh new hell of stupidity. Luther and Sloane have known each other for, what, four or five days? Maybe a week? And yet Luther fucking proposes, and it's treated as this sweet moment of romantic culmination, and I feel like I'm losing my mind. I am Elsa right now, trying to tell Luther slash Anna that he cannot marry someone he just met, and those romantic strings are not fucking fooling me. This is not romantic, this is weird and bizarre, and please, make it stop. I repeat to you all, as I will repeat forever, Luther, that is your sister. And, in the realm of relationship bullshit, Lila is trying to make amends to Diego. They're chatting about Stanley, and through this discussion outslips the truth. Lila made him play trial-run daddy because she's pregnant, which isn't terribly shocking. But it does imply some things about how long she was away from him, assuming she's actually telling the truth. Given that she doesn't appear to be showing in any way, there's no weight on her body, no puffiness to her face, that kind of thing, she must have only been away from him for a few months at the absolute most, and so when Lila tearfully tells him that Diego should run away from her rather than give her the family she now claims that she craves, I wholeheartedly agree. He should run away from her. He should run very fast and very far, and these two should under no circumstances let that fetus they conceived grow into an actual baby because, oh boy, will they ruin any hypothetical child's life. And then there's Victor. He's taking things very well, all things considered. Like, I can't fathom how the fuck he's so calm right now. Protecting Harlan has been his thing for a long time at this point, and he just found out that Allison literally murdered Harlan, and he just, like, sulked about it for a little while before apparently emotionally moving on and adjusting super quickly. So I honestly find it pretty fucking unbelievable that he's still even in this mansion when Five shows up. Again, had it been me, I'd have been so far gone, my siblings never would have found me before the inevitable end. But Victor is still there, and so he is ready and waiting for Five to come along and ruin both Victor's mood and mine. 
because what the writers have Five say here is just fucking wild. Five is more concerned with Victor's potential for villainy right now than he is with Allison's actual villainy. He compares Allison's cold-blooded murder of Harlan to his own murders at the Temps Commission in the past, and it's just such a horrible moment for me because it fully solidifies Five as a deeply myopic, self-centered character. What Allison did and what he did are not remotely comparable. What he's actually doing here isn't so much comparing Allison's actions to his own as he is comparing Harlan's death to the lives he's taken, and it's a fundamentally self-centered comparison. His whole argument for not worrying about Allison's murder of Harlan is that Harlan's death was a small price to pay when it comes to saving the universe, but that's not actually what happened. Allison didn't kill Harlan as a well-intentioned extremist action. She admitted it outright just a couple of scenes ago. Allison killed Harlan, fully murdered an old man, to make herself feel better. And Five doesn't see that. And given that Five is presented as the best and brightest of all of the siblings, that's a really fucking scary thing to realize. It's never been unclear that Five is an emotionally oblivious character, no. But to find out that he's this unable to grasp the emotional nuance of the situation that he's in is frightening. He's completely misreading everything that's going on in the dynamic of his siblings, and honestly, perhaps that's why everything has gone so wrong. The guy with the most brain cells in this family forgets all too often that other people have relationships and motivations and thoughts and feelings entirely unlike him and his. As the season marches on, I have moved from loving this family as a unit to wondering if I actually like a single one of these siblings. And five? Between sometimes we step on ants and implying that Victor is a villain, five is fully on my shit list right now. I'm gonna need to hear an apology right quick, and I have a vague hope that maybe we will get one. Maybe the writers are doing something clever here instead of pulling shit out of their ass. Maybe? Because five's line is nonsense. A superhero who works alone and doesn't listen to anybody, he says, is a villain. Except, that's not Victor. Victor has been listening to Allison this entire season. The one who doesn't listen to anyone but himself is Five. And so I can only hope that this is the writers consciously choosing to have Five projecting himself onto his siblings, rather than the writers trying to once again cast Victor in a sympathetic anti-villain role. Because if this line is meant to be interpreted unironically, I'm gonna lose my mind. But even if this scene is meant to be ironic, and even if Five does end up apologizing for the shit that he says here, the scene ends with a line that's honestly truly unforgivable. Lie to us again, Five says, and Victor, I'll kill you myself. I literally don't have words for that. None. Five's entire motivation is keeping his siblings alive. Except when it comes to Victor, who he has already tried to kill once and who he is now threatening to kill and I honestly might burst into tears. What is this? What the hell is going on? Who approved of this plotline? I get that Victor Hargreaves in the show is based off Vanya Hargreaves in the comics, and that while Victor bounces between being an anti-hero and an anti-villain, Vanya in the comics is apparently a straight-up anti-villain pretty different from her TV counterpart. 
but the treatment of Victor in this scene is playing out as if Victor is his comic book counterpart. He's being treated as if he is malicious and selfish and reckless and cruel. But Victor is not any of those things. He's not a reformed villain. He's a hero who was pushed into anti-villain territory because everyone in his life treated him like literal dog shit, and everyone is still treating him like dog shit now, and I fully cannot handle this. Either he's fucking forgiven, or he's not. And if he's not, then stop stringing him along as if you actually consider him an equal part of the family. If you can't forgive him, and you can't trust him or whatever, let him fucking go. Truly, over the course of this season so far, I have gone from loving this family as a whole to desperately hoping that none of them ever see or speak to each other again. And then, to top off the list of disappointments, we find Faye and Ben discussing what to do with the umbrellas now. Faye, breaking my heart, still wants to kill them because, of course, we can't let the only quasi-bearable sparrow be, you know, bearable. And Ben confirms for the audience that he has some secret plan worked out with Reginald that we are not yet privy to. This is far from shocking to me, but it's nice to get confirmation, that's for sure. And then, Faye clinks her champagne glass against Christopher's corner in triumphant glee, and Christopher loses control of the Kugelblitz. Faye tries to comfort her least humanoid brother, but it's not worth much. Chris is obliterated but a microsecond before Faye herself is, and the surviving cast members, the Umbrellas plus Lila and Sparrow Ben, flee the collapsing mansion. This thing really just can't survive a season, can it? All in all, though, the best part of the episode for me is the song that it ends on. I don't know what the hell it's called, or who sings it, but I'm gonna find out, and you can bet your ass it's going on my Summer 2022 New Favorites playlist. So, as I keep repeating, I'm very tired. I actually ended up taking a week off between watching this episode and recording the podcast episode because I was so reluctant to get back into this story. As I said, Stranger Things came out, and so I paused watching Umbrella Academy to watch that, and Stranger Things was a delight. Sad things happened, bad things happened, but it was revitalizing and exhilarating, and I felt refreshed by it, which highlighted for me just how much of a slog these past few episodes of Umbrella Academy have been. And so I have not been looking forward to getting back into this season. We have three episodes left, and I have been so drained by the seven that I've already seen that I don't really know how episodes eight, nine, and ten are going to go for me. I'm in such a place right now, emotionally, with this show, that if I weren't doing this for the podcast, I would have stopped watching and gone to look up some spoilers to make sure I even want to continue with the season at all. And since I can't do that because I'm doing this, I'm feeling unprepared and frightened to a certain extent of how this is actually going to wrap up, because certain things in this narrative so far this season have been like a half-step above my worst possible imaginings for how the season could have gone. And so I'm in a place of feeling very frightened about the possibility that the show is going to continue to get worse, that this story is going to sink even further down somehow, that we're going to end on a note that I deeply and truly hate. And I was keeping myself afloat in the first four or five episodes by saying, you know, well, I love these characters, I love their dynamic as a family unit, and I only, I'm only i only really going to feel betrayed by this show if it does something truly heinous. If I truly feel betrayed in some way, that's the only way I'm really gonna not enjoy the season. 
But after the past three episodes or so, I am in a place of truly thinking that that might be on the table this season. I am kind of feeling betrayed by this narrative, that where the writers are taking this story is a direction unwarranted, unkind, and to be honest, unearned. The biggest thing for me, even bigger than what they've decided to do with Allison this season, is what they're doing with Victor lately. I cannot believe I'm watching the Hargreaves turn on Victor again. I really grew to love all these siblings during season two. Even Diego and Luther have grown on me, and I couldn't stand either one of those bastards for the longest time. And one of the things I loved best about season two was that we had moved on from the ostracization of Victor. But somehow we're just doing that again? And I didn't want to do it the first time. But with it being done the first time, it felt like, okay, that's the story we're telling, and then it's going to get resolved, and then we'll move on to other plot lines. But somehow we haven't moved on. Somehow we've come full circle. Somehow we're at the Hargreaves are mistreating Victor once again. And it feels like being kicked in the teeth. And honestly, I've now seen Victor enduring this shit twice from his siblings. So my advice to him would be to stay away from them. Don't contact these people ever again. And as Victor is by far the character that I empathize and identify with the most, there's also a certain element there of when I say this to his character, you know, you shouldn't have contact with these people ever again, some of that is, like, reflected in my own relationship to the show. Seeing these characters that I really thought I loved treat him this way makes me think, you know, wow, uh, he shouldn't talk to his siblings and maybe I shouldn't be watching their show? And that's a really upsetting place to be in, honestly, because I was so excited for this season. This was a favorite show of mine. I think what I need from these last three episodes is resolution to this Victor plotline. Because if this ends on a cliffhanger, wherein we are still in this same emotional space and the siblings haven't done anything resembling work to bring their relationship back together and less toxic, I might be done with the show. And that's a really upsetting headspace to be in. I've said it before, one of my favorite things about most of the media I like, especially the media I like best, is found family. It's team as family. Close platonic, queer platonic, and or polyamorous bonds between a group of people. And while season two of this show did a pretty good job moving all of these characters into that kind of territory, season three has just pushed them all away from each other again in the worst possible fashion. No one is talking to anyone, no one is treating anyone with any respect, and everyone is shitting all over Victor again. And I really have to admit that if this show doesn't get back on track within the next three episodes, I'm probably done. I'm probably not going to be coming back for a hypothetical season four. There are a million TV shows out there, more and more every day, and I'm finding this one really upsetting to watch right now, and I don't have to sit down and watch a show that's upsetting. If I want to be upset about something, I can just go look at the news. Media is supposed to be some degree of entertaining, but I'm just not feeling entertained by this right now. I'm mad. I'm disappointed, and I think it might honestly be kind of depressing me at this point. I'm very much hoping that when I listen back to this for editing, having by then probably seen the end of the show, I'll be able to dismiss my present self as worrying too much and too early, but right now I'm genuinely in a place of feeling like I think I might have just lost one of my favorite shows. 
and the last time this happened to me was dark, and that was pretty emotionally devastating for a little while afterward. I don't think I've ever felt more betrayed by the end of the show than what happened in season 3 of Dark, and I honestly don't want to be disappointed like that again anytime soon. Preferably ever. So, I don't know. That's where I'm at, I guess. Um, in any case, after I finish up Umbrella Academy, I'm going to be finishing up Castlevania. After that, I don't know what it is that I'm going to be watching beyond perhaps Russian Doll Season 2. So if you are interested in helping guide my journey through fiction over the course of this podcast, then you are going to be able, if you join my $1 Patreon tier, to vote on polls determining what it is that I'm going to be watching in the future. I'm going to be doing probably one big, like, mega poll, asking what movies do you want me to watch and what shows do you want me to watch going forward. Right now, options on that poll are going to be limited to what is available on Netflix and HBO, but in the future, I do hope to branch out to other streaming services like Amazon Prime, Disney+, Hulu, whatever else you guys are interested in, um, but not yet. That is a future goal. Beyond that, $5 and up patrons get access to my reaction videos. Those are released on a weekly basis for $5 patrons and on an immediate as soon as they're recorded basis for $10 patrons. If you're not interested in any of that, but you are interested in the idea of a Patreon subscription, let me know what other rewards you would prefer to see on there. If you're not interested in Patreon at all, a rating or a review for the show on your preferred podcatcher would be appreciated. Alternately, talk about the show on social media, just keep listening, all of that jazz. Other than that, I am going to be back in one week's time with my next episode of Umbrella Academy coverage. That will be episode 8, of course, and hopefully it will be an improvement upon episodes 5, 6, and 7. But we shall see. So, with all of that said, I hope you will join me again next time, and as always, thank you so much for listening.